Hey, welcome to The Look Back, my pandemic podcast, or hopefully post-pandemic podcast, broadcasting here from the basement of Newman Media Studios. My name is Keith Newman, and I'm the host of The Look Back. And this is a place where we have some fun conversations with old friends, a few newsmakers, and some rule breakers, all in the name of sharing insights and experiences, along with a little bit of levity and fun. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you're so inclined, or perhaps even open to some bribery, you'll share this podcast with some friends who might also enjoy it. This episode is sponsored by Estrella, the blockchain-powered cap table and shareholder management platform that allows executives to manage and leverage their company's equity as a recruitment and retention tool, as well as a resource to enhance company culture. Estrella meets all of your shareholder management needs, along with the highest level of customer service and at the best price. Ask to speak with an equity expert or get a demo today of Estrella at Estrella, A-S-T-R-E-L-L-A dot com. Let's go on to the show. Alex Chump, welcome to the podcast. How are you, sir? I am very well, Keith. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, you know, um, we've had several conversations of late, and I I mean, each one of them more interesting than the last. Um, so I'm glad you could join. I think a lot of the conversation today, we will talk about investing, but I have a, a, a also a hunch that we are going to take a few pivots. Is that okay? <laughs> That's perfectly fine. I'm at your service. Um, Executive Director of Evolution Ventures, why don't you give me a little bit of background as well as my audience here about Evolution? Sure. Uh, Evolution Accelerator has a a companion called Evolution Ventures. I'm the Executive Director of uh, Evolution Accelerator and the Managing Partner of Evolution Ventures. And what we do is we work with entrepreneurs and investors to build tomorrow's companies. We provide the coaching and the connections and the capital to help take entrepreneurs from idea all the way uh, through pre-seed and seed rounds. And then we kind of set them free to to go and do their thing once they hit the A round, typically. So we're always looking for exciting opportunities, and we love to work with good people. That's great. Uh, Listen, with your level of experience, uh, they can they can gain a lot there. You're also based up in Sacramento, right? I am. I am. We're we're regionally based. We started here in Sacramento, but interestingly, COVID um, forced us into being a national and then an international presence. So we had originally started off as a, a regional accelerator, but you know, same for everybody. When you know, COVID drove us all inside. We so found that. So instead of becoming the the accelerator of SAC, as we call it, um, you became the virtual accelerator and could take applicants from anywhere. That's right. That's right. And That's has, right. has your investment thesis or uh, style evolved similarly? Oh, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I would say today we're more of a venture studio. So today we pick a few companies to work with very closely. And then we help them with, as I mentioned, coaching and connections, access to market. It depends on the the company and what they need. We try to really tailor what we're doing. And we try to be really selective about who we work with. 
how do you define a venture studio versus say an accelerator? Because you sound a lot, a, a little like both. <laughs> In my sure, sure. Well, first of all, let's be clear that they're both terms of art. There's no legal definition for either, right? Yeah. But what people typically see with accelerators and where we started in 2018 was with a cohort-driven model where there were a large number of applicants. The applicants were winnowed down to a select number of people who were launched into um, a program that was not quite one-size-fits-all, but it was definitely more normalized than the projects that were in the program. And... Um, that model, the cohort model, turned out to be um, okay, but it's pretty friction-filled. It's pretty friction-filled. It's actually relatively difficult to find a large number of projects that are at the same stage and that need the same things and that will benefit from uh, a standardized curriculum. What we found was that uh, projects like people are unique. And they're not all ready to start at the same time. And they don't all want to be valued the same way or close to the same way. And so over time, we developed into a much more customized education model. And um, now we do offer a standardized education package, which we've got down to $50 for entrepreneurs. We uh, feel like we've got a package that will help any entrepreneur that's raising funds be in the top 20% of the projects that are out there in the fundraising pool. And since we all know that only three or 4% of the projects that seek funds get funds, being in the top 20% means you're five times more likely to succeed, right? And we managed to get that down to a couple of hours of programming that we offer for $49.99. We give the framework away for free. We used to give the programming away for free but we found that people want to pay something so that they value it. Although I'll tell you, Keith, we would never gatekeep knowledge for money. If anybody who's listening to this podcast is interested in the program, I want them to go check it out. But if for some reason, $49.99 is out of reach, you let me know and I will send you a code and you can have that program for free. We would never keep knowledge from people. You're on mute, Keith. Yeah, the information you're sharing is so valuable. I really encourage people to take your you up on that. And uh, that's nice of you. Very humble uh, approach, too. Um, Alex, before we jump into too much more detail, give us a little background. How did you get to this, um, this position that you're in now and this focus? Oh, well, uh, you want to get in the early, way back machine? Yeah, a little early back. To, this is called the sure. look back. We have to do a little. Yeah, early. okay, let's do it. Let's do a look back. Um, let's see, if I want to go all the way back, I'm the child of immigrants. Both of my folks were born in what was at the time Dutch East Indies and became Indonesia later. They came to this country along with most of the rest of my family. And we started off in Southern California, a very entrepreneurial family, typically in the restaurant business. And as time went on, I found myself living in the Bay Area from a young age. And my father, who was very much an entrepreneur, was working for the phone company when he developed and patented his first product. And I was in high school when we started helping my dad ship his product right off the kitchen table to the phone company. 
I got into computers around that same time. And um, I really got into them for social reasons. I was a Dungeons and Dragons kid. And if you remember CompuServe in the 1980s, they had uh, real people on CompuServe where there were imaginary people in Dungeons and Dragons. So I wanted to hang out with real people. Yeah. Yeah. And that turned into a job working for Takanaka International in San Francisco when I was uh, 18 years old as a data processor in 1990. And then I took a break to go into the Marine Corps, followed in my father's footsteps again. And when I came home in 1995, it was the go-go period of uh, the Valley. Only at 1.0 stage, right? Absolutely. Met my wife, got married. They had a, I had an economist magazine that said they were making millionaires in Silicon Valley. And I showed it to my wife. And honestly, Silicon Valley could have been on the moon. I had no idea where Silicon Valley was when I was 23 years old. When I found out it was 45 minutes and one bridge away, we moved. And I ended up, um, after a couple of years, working for the world's largest venture capital firm and some of its financing partners as their director of technology. And when that whole um, show was over in the early 2000s, my wife and I came to the Sacramento region to have kids. And um, I'm happy to share with your audience that kids are the best investment I ever made, best portfolio I ever built. I've got five of them. And um, not a in bad 2000. Job. Not a bad. Yeah, a, yeah you get 20, yeah, 20, 20% in each category. It's like, you know, each one's different. So um, I went back into software development and started my own company as a CEO with Uh, external funds in 2014, started another company in 2017, started my first crypto fund in 2018. Uh, We just exited that December 2021, got out at the right time, did a fantastic IRR and um, started Evolution Ventures in 2018. I'm sorry, Evolution Accelerator in 2018, Evolution Ventures a year or two later, and today I'm what uh, Sahil Kosla calls an investor operator, which is to say, you know, about once a year I strap on my tennies and I go for a run around the track. And in the meantime, you know, I help the entrepreneurs around me to be successful. This year we're going to be concentrating on collecting angel investors and teaching them. I think going into a recessionary economy is the perfect time to be an angel investor. So we're developing and, and launching that program this year. As, as uh, we were discussing last, Alex, I did want to dig into that. And since you brought it up, why don't we just go there now? Um, why is it such a good opportunity to be an angel? And what's the right course? As we know, there's lots of ways to get involved as an angel directly through syndicates, et cetera. Um, what do you advise? And I know it depends a little bit on the person who's looking to do the angel investing, but just assume it's somebody with a fair amount of wealth who qualifies to do these things um uh legally and has the experience to do his own due diligence or do some amount of due diligence also sure sure well let me start by saying that a surprising number of people who qualify as accredited investors have never invested in private equity have never invested into uh, startups and that's for a combination of reasons um usually there's some trepidation And um, very often, unless you live in Silicon Valley or in California or someplace that has a high density of startups, you may not have access to high quality deal flow. 
So the first thing I'm going to tell you is to know yourself, know why you're in it, know what it is you hope to achieve. Returns matter and returns are obviously a motivator for angel investing. But in my experience, most angel investors actually get involved because they want to give back. They want to be part of the ecosystem. They want to support other entrepreneurs and they don't really know how to get started. So start by educating yourself. I'd say hunt in packs, join angel investor groups, get access to higher quality deal flow, learn um, not just the elements of due diligence or basic due diligence and not just the things that you specialize in, but get some friends who are in parallel uh, fields, right? So if you're in technology, get yourself a friend who's a doctor so you can understand med tech, right? Get yourself a friend who is in um, consumer packaged goods so that you can build for yourself over time a well-diversified startup portfolio. Because a startup portfolio, a private equity portfolio should be part of a well-diversified larger portfolio. But even within that sub-portfolio, you, you want to diversify again. You don't want to be too narrowly focused. Good. How do you start to select um, investments? What, what sort of criteria do you like to use? Well, the criteria are pretty well understood. Um, there's a pretty general st standard set of criteria when you're dealing with formation, formation level companies, pre-seed and seed level investments. And I think most investors are going to tell you that the number one thing that they look for is a solid team. Above all, they look for a solid team. So we, we look for teams that are well-constructed, first and foremost. We tend to lean on Ernesto Ceroli's Trinity of Management as a shorthand there. But we look for a strong product person. We look for somebody who wants to go out and shake hands. And we look for somebody who likes to keep the books balanced. Those three people make a very good entrance point for a startup company. If you're going to be dealing in a highly regulated industry or a very crowded industry, then we often look for an advisor or a co-founder who's what we call a hotshot. And that, that idea comes from Steve Hoffman at Founderspace, another good friend of ours. Yeah. So we look for that trinity of management. And when necessary, we look, we look for that hotshot. Beyond that, we look for the ability to execute. And the ability to execute has a lot to do with the clarity of your vision, has a lot to do with your uh, match to trend and wave. Obviously, we look at the size of the market. We look at where your market opportunity can be. Now, the thing about you know, pre-seed in pre-seed level investments, often pre-formation level investments, we're very typically either the first or second investor on the cap table is these companies are very, very early. They're going to make a lot of changes. They're usually pre-revenue. So you, you have to be willing to take a significant amount of risk and you modify that risk by, by following good, solid due diligence principles. Yeah. Alex, what kind of engagement do you like to have with the uh, executive team or the CEO? There's the the hands-off versus hands-on style. There's the 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 company or the executive team that does a lot of communication, some that do very poor communication. How do you how do you sort of build the right <laughs> the right bridge there? Well, um, I'll tell you, I've, I've come to a basic criteria, which is what I want to sit in a foxhole with this person. Do I, what, I wanna, what I want to sit in a foxhole with this person, is this individual somebody that I would trust to keep me alive in the middle of the night? Mm -hmm. 
and somebody who I wouldn't mind sharing close quarters with. Now, that being said, every CEO and every executive team has their own management style. And at Evolution, we try to be very, very supportive of a number of different management styles. Probably the one thing that we look for is a commonality among all the managers is excellent communication because the news isn't always going to be good. The news isn't always going to be cheery. That's not the nature of this kind of work. So you got to be able to communicate about what's going on. You need to have the um, emotional maturity to deal with difficult circumstances when they arise because they will arise as part of this business. Alex, I had a board member once who uh, had a no good news uh, policy. We couldn't report any good news till we shared the bad news. That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> we got it's really about resilience. Yeah, yeah. It's about take. you know, you got to ask yourself, does this CEO know how to take care of themselves? Yeah. Do they have a, a healthy balance, right? Spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, mm-hmm. because you're getting into a marathon with this individual. When we think about fundraising, a lot of people, a lot of startups, um, especially first-time CEOs, first-time founding teams, they're hyper-focused on fundraising. And I think of fundraising as a wedding. But having made an investment, we're now in a marriage, right? So like a bride and groom-to-be, you're concentrating on the wedding and you're focusing on the wedding, you're planning for the wedding, what you really need to be planning for is the marriage because the wedding is in the rear view mirror, just like the money pretty quickly. Now the question is, is how are you going to be able to treat yourself and the people around you? Because it's very, very important for leaders to come from a solidly grounded place, a place of, like I said, emotional health, spiritual health, physical health, and you got to know how to take care of yourself or you're not going to be able to take proper care of the people around you. And if you can't take care of the people around you, then you're not going to hold that team together and you're not going to be successful. Yeah. What do you tell a portco, maybe showing my hand here a little bit, that's not doing a very good job of communicating, not because the news is particularly bad or good or because of their style, but they just are not communicating on a regular basis and giving you that information. It's like pulling teeth. Well, I talk to them about it. I talk to them about it. I pick up the phone Mm -hmm. and I say, hey, how's it going? Sometimes people prefer to communicate in different ways, right? It's, you know, the the standard form of communication for a portfolio company is going to be a monthly update with the good news and the bad news and the financials and, you know, what they need from their investors and the people in the community. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just have to teach people how to do that. You know, you show them what other portfolio companies are doing successfully. You encourage them to get into a communication groove. If they need a little bit of help keeping that tempo up, then you give it to them, right? Yeah, If if they need it, if they need it. Generally, we have a pretty good idea what the communication style is before we invest. Yeah. What's, um, what's the startup environment like in Sacramento? I don't have any, um, Portco's up there. I love the area. I love the surrounding neighborhoods also. The access to Lake Tahoe <laughs> isn't bad also. Yeah. What uh, what well, are you finding in that in that in that uh, area that relates so much to our state capital in California, but it's also like so many other um, 
suburban metro areas across the country. They've got university, they've got academia, they've got yeah. you know education, they've got government, they've got a, a good a good economic climate. Well, Sacramento in particular is a very interesting area. So Sacramento has about 2.3 million people in the metro. So you've got a, a really large number of people. It's also one of the most integrated cities in America. So you have a fantastic blending of people. It actually reminds me quite a bit of the Valley in the 90s. That's why I formed Evolution when I did and the way I did was because still in, in Sacramento, there's um, actually a pretty high level of startup activity. There's a pretty high level of investment activity. There are a number of active investment groups here, including the Sacramento Angels, of which I'm a member. And Sacramento has something very special in that it's uh, the capital of the largest non-national economy, non-national economy in the world. So California competes with Germany for fourth or fifth position as far as economies in the world. Sacramento is the capital. So you have actually a, a tremendous amount of uh, resources in this area. Also, you have a very special university here. Uh, UC Davis is located in Davis, California. And Davis is a kind of sister to Sacramento. It's located, um, you know, maybe 10 miles away. And the reason I mentioned Davis is because UC Davis is a real jewel in the UC system. And in my estimation, is actually perfectly positioned, better than Stanford, better than Berkeley, better than any other university for the problems of the next century, which are problems of food, air, water, sustainability. Sacramento also has some very interesting um, governance uh, dynamics that occur. And as a result, you get a strong uh, understanding of regulatory matters, right? So you get fintech that comes out of here. You also get quite a bit of cannabis that comes out of uh, Sacramento. Because, I was say cannabis and wine. Doesn't Davis have a good yeah. wine program too, as I recall? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Davis has strong engineering. They got strong computer science, just like you would expect from a UC. But because of their focus on food, air, and water, they're well positioned, better positioned in my estimation than any other university to deal with the big problems that we are gonna to need to solve in this next century if we wanna to continue to live peaceably on this planet that we all occupy. Well, you and I can't agree more than that because I think that's not only the most fertile opportunity from a, a financial standpoint, there's gonna be huge disruption there, but we just need to do a better job of managing our resources. Yeah, a lot of activity up here. The Sacramento Angels actually last year ranked as either the most or one of the most active angel investing groups by deals and volume in California, which is really saying something when you consider Silicon Valley is here, you consider LA is here. So you had one of the most active investment groups in California right here in this region. You also have um, a couple of really notable investment firms like Moneta Ventures and Impact Ventures. And you have very strong support from uh, governments here. So everybody from the mayor of Sacramento to the uh, city managers of Folsom, California are very, very supportive of the entrepreneurial community. As a matter of fact, we just, I'm sorry, go ahead, Keith. We built some partnerships with Davis and with Sac State and places like that, I'm sure. 
to tap into. Yeah, something. absolutely. Real we we've learning. been mentoring and coaching at at Sac State and at Davis for years now. Good. Evolution recently partnered with uh, the Greater Folsom Partnership to create the Northern California Innovation District. Our partners bought um, a facility in Folsom that we use to bring companies from all over the world. We land them here with little or no cost. We provide them with access to capital. We give them market opportunities. We're bringing people from around the world here. Oh, that's exciting, Alex. I think there's something to take away if you're um, an angel or would-be angel, early-stage investor in another um, area to partnering with government, partnering with education. Uh, a lot of huge value there. I know other people are doing that, but um, probably build a lot more bridges there than we have currently. Sure, sure. And of course, you know, you, you still have proximity to Silicon Valley. Now, 55% of the early seed deals, according to Carta, originate here on the West Coast. They originate in California. Mm-hmm. And a fair chunk of those are coming through the Sacramento Valley. That's so great. So what um, what has you most excited as we look at this time that you said is the best to start a, was it a fund or just be an angel investor? Um, maybe both. Well, I, I would say being an early stage investor is most exciting during recessionary economies. Right. And, and that's a little bit counterintuitive because people tend to want to kind of turtle up. Right. Yeah. So when awesome. when the economic headwinds are out there. Yeah. Sure. And if, if you if you look across the venture capital landscape, you'll see that anybody beyond the A stage deals, they're experiencing valuation downdrafts of anywhere from like 30 to 60 percent. They can be pretty high level downdrafts. However, pre-seed and seed level companies, pre-A they're actually maintaining par from where they were. And what you find in a recessionary economy is that um, there's a tremendous amount of talent that's been thinking for years and years about the projects that they like to put together. But this talent has been tied up by other companies. And those other companies aren't not necessarily interested in all these disruptive ideas. They want this talent to focus on whatever their competitive product or service is. So now that this talent comes free, and I want to say that in the last six months, we've had some 200,000 people laid off from big tech. Uh, you, you know, you, that, that means you've got 200,000 people that have been thinking for years about what they'd like to do next. Right. And they're free to get started. So now you're finding that you can get great teams, you can get great projects, and you can get them at great prices. There's some evidence that shows that companies founded during a recession will, on, on average, outperform by 2x over their lifetime companies that are founded during non-recessionary times. So I think this is the perfect time to be an early stage investor and well, great, really encouraging angels to come off the sidelines. So a great hypothesis would be you would just laid off from Google, Salesforce, uh, or the like. Um, you've always had that idea in the back of your head. Now's the best time to explore that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Okay. So yeah, well said. what's the next step once that person uh, you know starts to work on their business plan or their pitch deck? What do you advise them to do to you know get things moving? Oh, that's a great question. I would say get out from behind your desk and go shake some hands. Go it, it, shake some hands. Go it, talk to people. Tell them about your idea. Kind of do a soft That's elevator. Right. Share, share what you're working on. 
get out there and network because most entrepreneurs are what we call product focused entrepreneurs. And they really, they really want to shut out all the distra- all the distractions of other people, and they want to sit down at their desk and they want to work hard at making that perfect product. And that's actually a rookie mistake. It's a rookie mistake to try to build the perfect product before you launch. What you really want to do is go out and meet your customers and find out what they need, and then you want to build to suit that need. And you're not going to find out if you don't go out and talk to them. Almost build that visual product marketing document, market requirement doc, you know, and socialize it, get some feedback, get some early interest. That's right. That's right. Look for those co-founders. Your, your CEO is essentially going to become the best pitch man, whether it's for hiring talent or bringing on those early customers, right? Well, a lot of people miss the fact that a startup is creating something out of nothing. There is literally nothing there. And the CEO and the founding team have a very interesting problem, which is to manifest something out of nothing. And the, the, uh, the challenges that are involved in creating something out of thin air are really quite staggering. And the number one way to get started is to communicate what you have in mind. You know, kind of like how um, when you have a New Year's resolution, if you share it with somebody, you're much more likely to see it through than if you just keep it to yourself. So get out there and share your idea. Get out there and talk to other entrepreneurs. Let your network help you find the right people. Let your network help you find the right answer. Let your network help you get those routes to market and find those needs that are really worth taking care of. That's great advice, Alex. Hey, listen, I'm taking a little bit too much of your time, but will you afford me one more question? I'm at your service. I've got a guy here with five kids. My audience, I know I've got a bunch of parents out there. How do you instill upon them that education to become entrepreneurial minded? Like whether they go to work for uh, Salesforce or Google or Apple later in their life or not, it's fun to kind of build that, uh, 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 polish up that that genetic uh, uh, disposition toward entrepreneurship. Make them a, sure. an innovator, a builder, you know? What do you do, Alex? You have five kids. I'm sure you're... Sure. Well, right. let me let me start by saying that I learned from a family of entrepreneurs. And I, I mentioned my friend Ernesto Ciroli. And Ernesto's first question in his master class is, what's your entrepreneurial DNA? Because what we find is that entrepreneurs always have somebody who inspired them. It's their parents... It's their uncles, it's their cousin, it's their brother. It's somebody that, that showed them that they could create their own reality, that they could create their own vision. So I think the most important thing that any parent can do, and, and I, I do, I have five kids. Uh, my youngest turned 12 today. My oldest is 18. And I think the most important thing that I can do for them is show them that I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to make mistakes. I'm willing to get out there and give it a shot. And none of us are going to be perfect and we're going to grow every day. I, I wouldn't want to think that I peaked in my 20s, Keith. I definitely wouldn't want to think that I peaked in my 30s or my 40s. I told my wife the other day, I'm I'm hoping to peak shortly before I kick off this mortal coil. It's beautiful. So, it gives yeah. you motivation every day to do something exciting. 
That's right. Get out there and serve your community. Take chances, take risks. Recognize that not everything is going to go perfectly and it doesn't need to go perfectly. We learn a lot from the things that are imperfect. Yeah. Alex, great stuff. I really appreciate it. I'll drop some of your links in the in the show notes and uh I wish you a lot of success and let's stay in touch. This is uh this is wonderful and I have a idea that I'll be up in Sacramento a little bit too. I'd like to drop in. I would love to take you out for coffee. That would be an honor. Yeah. And to your entire audience out there, I, I do have one thing I would like to say to the entrepreneurs out there, Yeah, which is that sometimes when you're in the hunt for funds, you can start to feel like you're searching for gold. You're panning for gold and you're trying everything to pan for gold. And what I want you to know as entrepreneurs is that you're actually the gold in the gold mine that all the rest of us are hunting for. This entire ecosystem exists to serve entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are the backbone of the American system. You're the gold in the gold mine. So don't get discouraged. Keep it up. Keep working at it. Somebody's going to recognize your value and you're going to get the opportunity that you're looking for. Boy, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to follow up with that with anything. That was beautifully said. And I totally agree with it, and uh, I hope the audience uh, takes it to heart also. It's fantastic. Alex, thanks for your time. Hey, Keith, thanks for what you're doing out there. I really enjoy the show. I'm looking forward to our next talk. Have a great day. It'll be there soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Look Back. We do appreciate your support. Welcome any feedback, and would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com.